0: Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern Time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. One is such a lonely number when your mind is on another. I'm Allison Langer.
1: I'm Andrea Askowitz, and this is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn how to write your own stories. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, Writing Class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit. shit. There's no place in the world
0: like Writing Class and we want to bring you in. Today on our show, we have a special guest host. Sarah Holtz is a volunteer with Empowerment Avenue, an organization created by Emily Nonco and Rashawn New York Thomas. Their mission is to normalize the practice of including incarcerated artists and writers in mainstream venues by bridging the gap between them. They assist incarcerated writers in getting their work outside prison walls, Be fairly compensated for it and contribute creatively to the abolition movement and liberation of incarcerated people. You may have heard of Rashawn New York Thomas if you listen to Ear Hustle. He has been um, featured prominently on that podcast, and we're grateful to be associated with anything he's associated with. Anyway, Sarah is the person who sent us the stories written by Corey Devon Arthur. On episode 120, Corey read his story titled, My Pen Uncovers the Real Me. If you haven't heard it, definitely go back and listen. Sarah, welcome to our show.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me. So tell us, how did you
0: first meet Corey?
2: So I started volunteering um, in April, 2020. I started just transcribing stories for Empowerment Avenue, doing some white fact-checking, things like that. And then about six months later, The co-founder of the program, Emily Nanko, who is a journalist based out of Brooklyn, she paired me with a writer in New York State named Corey. We just started emailing back and forth using the JPay system that we have access to within the New York State prison system. And at first, we were just sort of exchanging thoughts, and I was reading a lot of his material and giving him general feedback. And then we started moving into sort of the pitching process, getting him connected with outlets like... The Marshall Project. He had already been published with the Marshall Project before I met him, but we continued to work with them and continue to work with other outlets to get his stories to a wider audience. And we got an email within the volunteer listserv talking about Writing Class Radio and the great work that y'all are doing. Since I'm an audio producer by trade and since Corey had such a wealth of material, I thought, why don't we try to record one of your stories? We had sort of like workshopped that before, set some of his stories to music, But we decided to get on the phone, record one of his stories, and work with y'all to get it on the podcast. And I'm so excited to be working with y'all again on this episode.
0: Corey is an inmate at Otisville Correctional up in New York State. His story, My New Manifesto, blew me away. I'm sure it will have a huge impact on you as well. We share stories by men and women on the inside because it's important to give everyone a voice. We all make mistakes, some worse than others, but we feel that everyone can change. And there's no better way to initiate change than through writing and sharing stories. If you'd like to hear more stories from the inside, please listen to the podcast Prison Series. During our 10-part series, we spoke about why we aired stories from the incarcerated and how we changed after hearing them. Well, let's hear the essay, and then
1: we'll talk about why it's so moving and amazing after the break.
0: I'm Allison Langer, and every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time, I host First Draft. It's a class, kind of, because you'll get a little bit of instruction, but mostly it's a group where you come together with other writers online, write to a prompt, and share what you wrote. It's the only way to get better. Come join me. Check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com or go to patreon.com writingclassradio to learn more. All right, we're back. This is Allison Langer, and you're listening to Writing Class Radio. Up next is Corey Devon Arthur reading his story, My New Manifesto.
3: Yesterday, I was on my way to town. I don't normally get up for breakfast. However, they were serving coffee cake. Coffee cake, day always draws a big crowd. Crowds don't make me nervous. Rather, it's the one or two individuals in the crowd waiting to stab you that makes me nervous. I'm particularly aware of this danger since I've been a long-time participant on both ends of the stabbing. These days, I like to think of myself as a better man, or at least a different man. I felt them before I saw him. The years wore us both like badges of honor. and so as our eyes locked, we acknowledged our unresolved business. Fifteen years ago, we stabbed and cut each other up real good. We left that yard in Attica, nice and bloody. On that day, two broken youths who were barely men officially became prison yard gladiators. We also became lifetime enemies, sworn to hand-to-hand combat to the death. Everything I had been working so hard to undo to suppress about myself, rushed to the surface the moment I realized we were face-fighting each other across the mess hall. Tone and I were separated by 50 feet, about 300 prisoners, and roughly 20 correctional officers. None of that mattered to us, nor did we care about the officer in the gas booth wearing an assault rifle, a gas shotgun, and a button that could drop tear gas into the entire mess hall within a second. No, Tone and the old me were concerned only with one thing. How can we finish a fiscal correctional facility when we started back in Attica? Not everyone, but certain inmates, knew about that bloody day in Attica. Watched our every move. They knew I screamed to tone from across the yard. It's lit. We got beef, my nigga. It's off for life. Violence was to be ignited on sight. Play with me, I'll kill you, I said. To anyone tough enough to tempt my razor, it was my manifesto. Their mouths watered with anticipation of a duel to death. I wrote my manifesto after reading messages dead men wrote on cell walls. Death before dishonor, and killed to be killed. My words were broken by a street corner at style Brooklyn. A place where courage was convoluted by criminals. I called them my street family, my first teachers. I sat in cells night after night perfecting it. It's always was deadly. happened at that precise moment. By silent agreement, we had deferred our contest to a later I was getting annoyed. Listen, you talk that reform school voice shit you all know, you like. This nigga Tone don't give a fuck about all that. That nigga want to kill you. If you don't step up, nigga, we going to be sitting out of a bag for the rest of our lives. Is that what you want? The voice rambled on. What part don't you get? I'm done with that life. I'll find a way to deal with Tone, but there won't be no blood, no spectacle, and no violence. I shout out myself with a firm resolve. You're a punk, a fucking coward. you scared to death for this nigga. He took your heart 15 years ago. You make me sick, you bitch-made faggot. His words pushed deeply into my ego. I felt the blood edge against my resolve. But these words in my head no longer controlled me. I knew they weren't true. I wanted to prove this other part of me was wrong. I wasn't scared to of any other man. I just didn't want to solve my problems by hurting another person. This ain't about me at tone. This is about me not wanting to be you anymore. I threw the accusation as hard as I could at myself. For a long time, I just sat with myself in disgust. The voice said, nigga, is you fucking stupid or what? Fuck all that psycho babble bullshit. This nigga's a hitter just like you. Fuck those college assholes teaching you. Ain't none of that schoolboy reform bullshit gonna help you when them knives come out. So get their shank, strap that shit on Let's get ready to rock. Before I could reply, my right hand felt different. No, not different. It felt familiar. I looked down at the darkened dorm and dormant, saw that I had a half a barber scissor tied to my glove right hand. I was gripping the piece, flipping it over in my head, trying out different strengths. I was reacquainting myself with this weight and reach. How the fuck? This isn't good. This is a bad omen. I whispered to myself. Yeah, I knew you would remember. The voice said, seems funny how you forgot, but never got rid of it. You always stashed it. Niggas, stop fronting and get ready to put that pain in. I sat there transfixed by the string in my hand. The person I once was assured me I could do it and get away with it. It really doesn't count if you don't get caught. But what if I do get caught? What if I don't get away with it? What will everyone who stood up for me think and say? them. They never ask about me. All I care about is you. Listen, nigga, I got you. When this nigga tone comes from your head, you can't fight him off with a book or short stories. You can't draw your way out of face of him. And we both know that your good Samaritan friends ain't gonna be there to hold you down. Nigga, wake up. All you got is me and this knife in our hand. He was right, but only to a certain point. This slick talk made me smirk. He had me pay right for a killer, but all wrong for a bigot. I found security in the people from society who supported me. These folks possessed the other kind of courage, the kind that wasn't cruel, the kind that stood strong in the face of cowardice. The kind, the streets of Brooklyn didn't teach me, nor did the dead men in the cells, nor the dead men I read while sitting in those cells. This kind of courage was the best kind of all. It was a kind that brings peace and healing and their forgiveness. My supporters believed in education. Their manifesto red, leave no student behind, not even the least of them. They believed in me. I didn't deserve it. In 1997, I killed my former English teacher. I'm ashamed and sincerely sorry for what I did. As a result, I was taught a lesson. My supporters forgave me. It was never about skin color with them. It all came down to blood and ideas. Would I let the blood on my hands coagulate or the brilliance of my mind to blow? My supporters would not support who I used to be, but they struggle for eternity alongside the man I've become. That is a lesson, too. What I did with this lesson became the test. Time was running out, and I still hadn't made a choice. Was I going to stand up to tone as the man I've become or the bug I used to be? I didn't want to destroy everything everyone and I worked so hard for. I didn't want to be stabbed to death either. The voice of my head said, Yeah, schoolboy, you don't teach this type of shit in the classrooms. This is prison warfare. This is what niggas like us grind on the streets for. This is why we keep it raw and bloody. So that when it's time to go, we blow the spot completely the fuck up. As much as I hated to admit it, I was convinced. I knew right then and there that for the rest of my life, this voice would be a part of me. My internal beef wasn't with Tom or any other convicts. No, the real war was with me. I tried to tease out these evolution of understanding of what courage was. My supporters in society taught me this brand new type of courage. Now I was being tested to see if I learned what they taught me in this new situation with Tom. All right, I get it. You ain't going nowhere, I said. You're right. We've been together too long, and we did too much dirt for us to ever part ways. But here's the deal. From this day on, you're a solid partner. Yeah, yeah, I got to be for life with everyone. I get it. I'm good with that. I'll deal with it. But I'll do it my way. Nigga, you crazy. You going to get us killed, the voice said. What's the matter? You scared to die I the The voice said, I'm scared to die without even trying to fight for my life. Now you see my point. If I let you on this show, then the man I fought so hard to become in those classroom dies without being given a chance to fight for his life. Don't get it twisted. Ain't nothing coward about your boy. I have every intention on am facing told, just not the way you or the spectators want me to. If I really believe in this new man I've become and what he stands for, I must be willing to put him to the sword. If I die, then at least I die the man I've become and not the boy I was. I started unwrapping the shank from around my wrist. And then I took the glove off. Come on, I said, walk into the dorm bathroom. Take a walk with me. After making sure we were alone, I sat on the toilet in one of the stalls. I closed the pale green plastic privacy curtain. The top half of the curtain was clear plastic. This allowed officers to look up at us when we were sitting beyond the plastic was the bathroom window, blackened by the night sky. I saw myself staring back at me. Do you really have to flush it? My voice pleaded, don't you think we should hang on to it just in case? Please don't do it like this. I reached behind me and flushed. It was one of those old standing commodes. The suction power was phenomenal. You could flush a dead body down one of those old prison toilets. Just as the suction started to pull, I dropped the business end of the shank into the toilet. I angled it just right so it would go straight down the pipe. The soul of the prison sucked my shank into its bows for forever. We both closed our eyes in respect for his services rendered. So what are we supposed to do now? Read some poetry. Oh no, I got one better. You can draw a sketch of you two making up because that's only going to happen in your imagination, school boy. I got it from the toilet and went to the sink. I looked at myself in a warp mirror while I up my hands with the white state soap and said, first, you're going to follow me. From now on, you're a part of my past. Second, we're going to give tone, something you never gave either of us 15 years ago. I looked into my eyes in the warm mirror as I spoke my new manifesto. You're going to give us a chance to forgive each other and ourselves.
2: Storm's coming, coming for speed ahead.
1: Let's talk about
0: a new manifesto. I wanted to get Sarah's input. I had been working with him a little bit, and I think it's always interesting to work with a new editor because anytime you work with somebody new, they're asking you different questions. So Sarah probably knows a lot of the answers to the questions I asked, and we see this in class too: is that people in the class who have heard your stories over and over again don't hear the holes in the story or the things missing as well as a new editor. So I had so many questions. And so I feel like that was helpful to him and also to this story. And I was wondering, Sarah, how did all that land on you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it was so helpful to have you more involved with the editorial process this time for all the reasons that you just mentioned, because I've read so many of his stories that I start to take this information a little bit for granted or as like it's a given.
1: You fill in the holes when you know the answers. Exactly. When you yeah. Know the story. But yeah. to
2: have that fresh interaction with Allison and like, you know, to have her really like probe the story, I think just like really added to it from rough draft to final. And I know Corey really appreciated it too. He has this sort of community as he references in the story, this community of folks, educators and writers who have supported his work. And I think he's very intentional about building up that community because he always wants a fresh perspective on his writing.
0: I wanted to ask you a question since you brought that up. And this was one of my questions for him that I really wanted in the story that was a little bit left out, but now it isn't. And when the voice in his head says, fuck those college assholes teaching you. And then says, we both know that your good Samaritan friends basically aren't going to be there to hold you. And I was like, is that true? Is that how you feel? Like how do people inside see those of us who are coming in and teaching them because I have a lot of guys that I communicate with that I taught and I would never want them to see me differently than how I feel. So I wanted, I had this immediate, like, well, how, what, what am I doing? Like, how can I change? What can I do to, to work better with you and to make you feel better about trusting me or having me work with you? So did you get that when you read that? How did you feel?
2: Yeah, I think that's so true. Like there's just there was a period of time where Corey and I were really like getting up to speed with this huge body of work. We were in touch very, very regularly. And there's this sense when you're first starting to do this work as a writer on the outside and an editor that like it's never going to be enough. There's never enough that I can be doing to support and help this situation, but really, I I think it's sort of what y'all were saying before, where there's this constant duality where I think there probably are moments and I can only speculate. I'm not Corey, but there are moments where he probably does feel like there's no one in his corner. And then, you know, I think he's very thoughtful and he's learned to keep in mind that like he's built this community of folks that's separated by distance and by technology and by the carceral system, but that we're always kind of with him. I think the point of this story is, yeah, that he's battling this duality between isolation and connectiveness and then also between his past self, his present self, being true to his past experiences and presenting himself accurately and fairly and with remorse and all of those things, but also like looking towards the present and the future and keeping in mind that he's a growing, evolving person and that that kind of evolution is always kind of like cyclical or spiralic. The story
1: is about dualities and battling dualities. The ho- the main battle is his old self versus the self that he wants to become, this different man that he mentioned at the very beginning. But one of the things that he said or what I get from the story, Allison, is that the narrator is battling with the idea that other people care. Imagine 25 years in prison. Like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I totally bought that. I understand that. How can he trust that other people care who have full lives on the outside? Another really sad, sad part of this story for me is that he had an advocate and his ninth grade teacher, and that's who he killed. In this story, that's not the main part of the story at all, but it it landed on me because I also wrote down that he's battling with the idea that other people care. And there was someone in his life who did care and he killed that guy. I don't know why I want to understand that story. It's not this story, but...
0: I have a question about that and I've asked him. I feel like when somebody is killed, we immediately make them a hero. No one deserves to die. So I'm not saying that anybody's right or wrong, but I'm wondering how much a support that person was. Like, what is the real story behind that teacher? I don't know. If it was just a teacher, it was a a real good friend or a mentor. I don't know. But I hate to assume that he turned on somebody he loved because we don't know that story. Oh, so we don't know that his ninth grade teacher was a supporter of his No, I don't. I don't know that in the story. And I don't know that. And I've asked him, if you'd like to write the stories, I will read them. And he holds strong in that he never, ever wants to have the victims of his crime, the family of this man ever suffer anymore. So he doesn't want to drag them through anything else. So in that realm, he really doesn't want to write about any more of that. I respect that. So I don't push... But I don't know because we don't really know the whole story. Certainly not from this story.
2: Right. Yeah, no. And I mean, from what I've read from him, this ninth grade teacher, he was a friend. He was a supporter. He introduced him to the literature of people like Richard Wright. And I have read many stories about his relationship with his ninth grade English teacher. I think it's sort of what you were saying before, where his teacher... Loom so large in his memory and his consciousness. And then when you think about the educators and writers who support Corey now, it's like, how could he not be reminded every single day when he interacts with an educator or writer? Because this is me speculating, but we're analogs or stand-ins to a certain extent for this person. Maybe, maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah. But that's something that I've thought about.
1: Right from the beginning, I thought Corey did a, such a great job of like just showing the emotions of what it's like to be in prison and go to chow, like coffee cake. So he goes because it's coffee cake. <laughs> and then right away, he says it's not the crowds because everyone's going for coffee cake that make him nervous. But there's always a possibility that someone might stab you like, oh, Jesus, It's so dangerous in this place. It's the way that Corey portrays it is like, it made me think that so many people there had the same mindset, especially this guy Tone, the one that he talks about. He's having like a 15 year battle with this guy. As soon as he sees him again, like all that old anger and hatred rises up again. That was so dramatic to me. And then he went right into this idea of being a coward. What does it mean to be a coward? So that was another one of the dualities. Like Later he says he wants to show up with a different kind of courage, which is what he did at the end, what he comes to at the end. He wants to give himself and tone a chance at forgiveness. It's like, oh my God.
2: Yeah, I think that duality is also so important because from what I've read from Corey and how we've corresponded over the past couple of years, he's learned that, you know, there are two different kinds of courage. And the newer courage, the courage of the new manifesto, is like one of emotional vulnerability. Him learning how to be emotionally vulnerable in an environment where you're not allowed to be emotionally vulnerable, like it's it's dangerous. Everything it might literally
1: it. kill him. Yeah, exactly. And he said, if I die, I die the man I've become. That line gave me chills.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because he
1: might, like he could show up to a fight with Tone and who knows what he's going to say, but it, he might get stabbed. He does not have his weapon anymore. That is, stuck. ah, woo, that's courage. Yeah. The other part that I thought just was so fascinating was the back and forth in his mind between his street self, like bitch made faggot and what his street self called him like the schoolboy
0: you can draw a sketch of you two making up because that's the only that's only gonna happen in your imagination schoolboy and the sketch is because <laughs> he's actually an artist.
1: That line about um the sketch was really funny. This <laughs> is like yeah how is it how's a picture gonna help you schoolboy?
0: And oh, my God. And you can tell he's like a poet, too, because the soul of the prison sucked my shank into its bowels forever.
2: I love that. So, yeah, he's extremely writerly. Like he he just shocks me, you know, constantly with like the prose that he's able to invoke and like his turns of phrase. He's just and I do think he. But
1: writerly without sounding writerly.
2: Writerly without sounding writerly. Yeah. And also just like he clearly he's a writer who's also a visual artist because his writing is so visual, you know.
1: The way that he was describing the moment where he and Tone were like looking at each other and feeling each other out. He called it foreplay. I got chills. That was so
2: interesting. (sighs) Yeah, it's something that he's written about before, too, that just like, you know, in the prison environments that he's lived in, physical violence becomes a form of intimacy in a strange way. Whoa, I'm so incredibly grateful that I was able to meet Corey and that I am able to continue to work with him. The thing that he and I celebrate so often is that we've been able to form this partnership kind of against all odds. And like we come from such different places with this stuff. But in one 30 minute conversation, we'll be talking about something extremely serious. Then we're able to like laugh and bring levity and challenge each other. The spectrum of our partnership is something that I'm so grateful for and so proud of. Yes. Thank you.
1: I don't have that much more to say about Corey's story. I just really moved by it.
0: Thank you for listening. And thank you, Corey, Devon, Arthur, for sharing your story and Sarah for coming on the show.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really grateful for everything that y'all are doing.
1: Writing Class Radio is produced by Allison Langer. And me, Andrea Askowitz, and by Matt Kandel, Evan Serminski, and Claire Mansell at the Sound Off Media Company. Theme music is by Courtney Fox. There's more writing class on our website, WritingClassRadio.com, including essays to study, editing resources, video classes, writing retreats, and live online classes. And hit the swag tag and get yourself the cutest t-shirt, hat, notebooks, really mugs? Mugs, sweatshirt, ah, I love it. Join the community that comes together for instruction and excuse to write, and most importantly, the support from other writers.
0: For $10 a month, Andrea will answer all your publishing questions. For $25 a month, you can join our First Draft weekly writers group. You have the option to join Tuesdays, twelve twenty Eastern, or Wednesdays, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern. Write to a prompt and share what you wrote. If you're looking to take your writing to the next level, for $125 a month, you'll get First Draft and Second Draft. In Second Draft, each week, three people bring a draft for feedback and brainstorming. To learn more, go to patreon.com slash writingclassradio. A new episode will drop every other Wednesday. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? Produced and distributed by the Sound
1: Off Media Company.